Hello, everyone. Hey, guys. That was, that was awesome. That was, that was amazing to get to say that. And I thought it was great that the kids were in and they got to see it as well. Um, it's, it's a family thing, isn't it? I think, yeah, it should be good. Um, so my name's Connor, and, and I'm one of, the, one of the pastors here at Menai Anglican. Um, and we've been looking at Genesis, right? We've been looking at Genesis chapters 1 to 11 these past few months. Uh, and it's the very first part of the very first book in the Bible, right? The Genesis of Genesis, if you like. And as we've been going, I feel like there's just been a whole lot to chew on, a whole lot to think about, a whole lot to process. The book of Genesis just seems so jam-packed. We've looked at things uh, like creation, work, sin, grace, marriage, sex, and family. So far, we have covered from the Garden of Eden to seeing civilizations grow in advance through to the flood. And as we've been working our way through these 11 chapters, we've seen these these key biblical uh, ideas and patterns, these foundational things. For example, you might remember that in Genesis 1 and 2, God is revealed as the one true creator and unrivaled king of the universe. You might remember that uh, creation is originally good. Or you might remember that in Genesis 3, we see it is sin, this rebellion against God that has spoiled creation. In Genesis 4, we see the, oh, and onwards, we see the events that show the horrible effects of sin but between humans and God, but also between humans and each other. Or maybe some of the patterns that you might have noticed, right? We see, we see this pattern of chaos to order. In Genesis 1, the creation narrative, we see this pattern of, of chaos, this movement from chaos to order. Or we see a pattern of the spread of sin and the spread of grace, Right? One writer explains the spread of sin like this, an ever-growing avalanche of sin, a continually widening chasm between man and God. There is a movement from disobedience, Adam, to murder, Cain, to reckless killing with Lamech, and to total corruption and violence with the people before the flood. But as sin spreads, grace spreads. Adam does not die, Cain is given a mark of protection, and Noah is chosen out of his generation to restart. As sin spreads, so does grace. But there are other patterns that we see. We see a pattern of disobedience and cursing. We see a pattern of human failure and God's faithfulness. We see a pattern of human sinfulness and God's holiness. We've seen all of this in just the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And I want to say this because what we come to understand is that these first 11 chapters act as the foundation, not just to the rest of Genesis, but to the rest of the whole Bible. From Genesis chapter 12 through to Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. I challenge you to find a book in the Bible that doesn't include or develop these themes or these patterns. There is something of vital importance that the human author, but more importantly, the divine author, is trying to get across. And today, in this little short event recorded in chapter 11, we see the end of this first section of Genesis. But what we will see is that it is a bit of a a disheartened, a bit of a jarring ending. So please pray with me. Um, And then we can have a look um, at our passage. Uh, Loving Father, I thank you, Father. I thank you that you um, have blessed us 
uh, with the opportunity to come here today. Father, in the cold, in the rain, you have, um, you have been so kind to us by blessing us with a space, a roof over our head, warmth, Lord God, with people who, who desire to know you and, and want to know you more. I pray, Father, that you would please give me the strength that I need, the conviction that I need that I might preach faithfully and give all the glory to Christ as he so rightly deserves. I pray all of this in his name. Amen. All right, I want to start, well, now, I want to start with a game, right? I'm the assistant kids and youth pastor, and I love games. And I can see it on all your faces, you love games too, all right? And this game is called Who Am I? So I'm going to say a few things, right? And then you have to try and guess who it is, and then there'll be a picture that comes up to confirm or say you're wrong. All right, here we go. The first one. This person, he was said to be one of the greatest dancers and singers of all time. Before... Connor, <laughs> performed, he performed since childhood, oh, well done, there you go, Michael Jackson, good work, nice, good work, good work, alright, next one, here we go, uh, this, is a <laughs> this is a TV talk show host, she was born in Mississippi, uh, oh my god, what, from Mississippi, oh, yeah, there you go, <laughs> good work, alright, next one, this one, we'll see, this one was a WWE champion, they're now a movie star. They're roughly eight times my size. Who is it? <laughs> the Rock. Yes, The Rock. He's massive. Look at him. Oh, yeah, there he is. <laughs> All right, The Rock. All right, last one. This person uh, has great hair. Open to opinion. Uh, they're the 45th president. Were the 45th president. They're a businessman. Yeah, there you go. Ah, <laughs> oh, great hair. <laughs> Uh, right, all these people, they've, they've made names for themselves. They're, they're pretty well known. You guys all knew them, I think. In the Tower of Babel, we see people who want to make a name for themselves. And on the surface, it, it's perfectly, it looks perfectly, perfectly reasonable. You, you can kind of get it, yeah? I want to make a name for myself. I, I want to be respected and, and admired. But in our passage, there are two things I think we need to consider. Two things to consider. We're going to start by digging into the first four verses and seeing what it says about the inclination of the human heart. And following this, we're going to look at the last five verses and consider the sovereign God. All right? We've got the inclination of the human heart and the sovereign God. So let's get into it. We're going to look at the inclination of the human heart. Right? We start in chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, if you've got your Bibles open, read along with me. It says, now the world, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So we begin with seeing the whole earth having one language. That is that everyone had a common tongue. There is this, this totality, this entirety. There is no exclusion. The whole world had one language and a common speech. And these people, they move eastward, right? Maybe a link to, to Adam and Eve as they are expelled from the Garden of Eden eastward. And they settle in a plain, on a plain in Shinar. And what is it that they do there? Well... Obviously, they decide to make a massive tower the size of the beanstalk in Jack and the Beanstalk. And so the Tower of Babel begins to be built. Now, on the surface, it, 
doesn't look that bad, right? I mean, from a, from a business point of view, great. They've got a big goal, right? Make a tower. They have made good steps towards that goal. We will, what is it? Make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they have a united team to achieve this goal. Pretty impressive. They have all the makings for a successful business. But immediately, there is a problem. And the problem isn't necessarily the building of the tower. No, what we see is the inclination of the human heart. You might remember last week when we looked at Noah and the flood. Do you remember what is said of humanity before God floods the earth? It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And last week, Punch reminded us that Unfortunately, sin survived with Noah, his family, and the rest of the animals on the boat. And what we see here now is that sin is alive and well. The inclination of the human heart is evil, is sinful. I get this from verse 4, right? The key statements are there. It says they want to build a tower that reaches to the heavens so that they may make a name for themselves. Otherwise, they will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. I see two things here that highlight the inclination of the human heart, that they are evil. Firstly, the people wish to make a name for themselves and be like God. You might remember in Genesis chapter 3, the garden, when, when the serpent comes onto the scene and he's trying to deceive Eve. And what he says is, For God knows that when you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And what happens? Well, Eve sees that the fruit is good for food, it's pleasing to the eye, and is desirable for gaining wisdom or for being more like God. So she takes some and eats it. What do we see here in the Tower of Babel? Something very similar, but it's taken a step further. Not just to be like God, but to contend with God himself by reaching heaven. But church, God's will for human beings is not that we find our joy and our purpose in being God's, lowercase g, but that we find our joy in knowing and praising the one true God, the unrivaled king of the cosmos. But there's more. Verse 4 finishes with, otherwise we may be scattered over the face of of the whole earth. So secondly, there, there is this disobedience, just flat out disobedience. You see, earlier in Genesis, God gives a command to Noah saying, fill the earth. And this command is an echo from a previous one given to Adam and Eve, saying the exact same thing, fill the earth. But what do we see here in the Tower of Babel? The people settle you might not know this, but, but, but settling is the exact opposite of scattering, of filling the earth. 
God's command was to fill the earth. But in their fear and in their insecurity, they would directly disobey God. But church, God's will is not that we find our security in cities or in in gathering, but that we find our security in Him, in the one who we would gladly obey. Even after this flood, which would have been a lightning bolt of warning against sin for Noah and his descendants. We see sin still alive and well. Here in our passage, we see the inclination of the human heart remains sinful. And we see it in in those two examples. But what about the sovereign God? Well, let's pick up again in verse 5, which says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The scene now switches to God. We begin seeing this story through God's eyes. Right, This tower that, that would have been a, a marvel, a, a wonder, man's greatest adventure with the tower's top in the heavens. But not to God. Right, this is this is Yahweh. The holy, the transcendent, the perfect, supreme, the sovereign God. The creator, the unraveled king of the cosmos. And what does it say? God has to come down to see this tower. This tower, this, this, this man's greatest achievement with its, with its top in the, in the heavens is so puny that the all-seeing God has to come down to see it. I think of it like this. Right? I, was, I, was, I did primary teaching for two years at uni before, um, before I came to church, this church. Um, and we had a prac, and I remember doing an art lesson, and you spend lots of time doing the art lesson and prepping it, Right? And the kids, they do the art lesson and they come and, and they're like, look at it, look, look what I made. And they, and they show you the art project and you're kind of like, ah, oh, cool, that's really good. <laughs> right? You don't laugh at the kid, you come down to their level and you say, yeah, cool, good job. <laughs> oh, wow, nice. I imagine it like this, right? These people, they're they're brick after brick, lugging tons of mortar, day after day, hour after hour, year after year maybe, I don't know, for however long it was. But the sovereign God has to come down to see it. The sovereign God, the all-powerful God. We've seen that the inclination of the human heart is sinful. We see the sovereign God. But it begs the question, how does the sovereign God respond to the sinfulness of man? When when God comes down to see this tower, what is his response? Well, we see that, that God sees and God acts. God has come down 
He has seen this tower and what is happening, and God judges. Read from verse 6 with me. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. This is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. At first, it almost looks like God is, is worried or, or concerned. Right? It's, he, he's shaking in his boots, thinking, oh no, what are these... What are these people going to do if they all band together? But this is, this is God. His concern is, is much more gracious and realistic than that. His concern is, is that humans will plunge into this spiral of sin instigated at the fall and continue in their insatiable desire to be God's. And consequently, be apart from God. It's kind of like every brick they add to the tower, every bit of mortar that goes into it, is a step further away from God. But church, the sovereign God will not have this. He will not leave humanity to to their sinfulness and to their destruction. And so another great judgment is brought on the people, again, afflicting the whole world. Mankind is scattered and their languages are mixed up. The great tower of Babel is now forever known as the Tower of Babel or Babel. The people's name is humbled and their settling is made impossible. And this is the end of this story of the Tower of Babel. An abrupt ending, a, a bit of a disheartening one, a, a jarring one, right? Like, I mean, this is, this is bringing that first section of Genesis, of Genesis chapters 1 through to 11, to an end. It's going to finish on, on that kind of a note. We're left asking, what next? That's what I'm asking. I mean, if we remember those patterns that we've seen earlier, where is the grace part? Where is the hope, the future hope? But I think this is, this is exactly how we should be feeling. And I think the reason is, is because as we read Genesis 1 through 11, we get to see more and more of who God really is. We see that, that God does not act spontaneously or in a way that's just random or aimless. And so when he allows, when he allows the people to even begin their settling or their building on the plains of Shinar, he knows exactly what he is doing and what his response will be. This means that the people groups and the languages of the world are not the result of some random, angry act of judgment. but are according to the good and perfect and pleasing will of the sovereign God. 
I mean, yes, it, it is a judgment on, of, from God on sin. But at the same time, it is designed by God for the universal glory of his name. And more specifically, the glory of Jesus, his son. In that second reading that we had earlier, that I thought you did a great job on, by the way, <laughs> um, after the, resur- the, re- the resurrection of Jesus, the, the apostles are gathered and, and the Holy Spirit comes and, and by the Holy Spirit they are able to speak in languages or tongues. And I'm not going to go into that right now, but if you have any questions, Andrew would love to take those later on. <laughs> but, but let me read it to you again. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Did you notice how the Spirit doesn't come and just create a single language and create this single uniformity? But instead, he allows them to hear and understand one another. In the Tower of Babel, the mixing up of the languages causes disunity and distrust, and it completely deconstructs the community. But God will establish a new community of his people. In this community, there will be diversity, but there will be unity. People of all nations will be able to understand and hear and be united in a way that honours God. And church, this sets the tone for heaven, right? We're one day people of every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people will be there and be a part of the eternal family of the sovereign God. Isn't that just a beautiful picture? All for the glory of our Lord Jesus. I think it's amazing. Just two points of application to finish up. First, did you notice how the tower was never completed? There there is this this futility of making a name for yourself, right? There is a futility of of trying to be gods. The builders could have built for years and years and years and years, but they would never be any closer to getting to heaven. 
I think we live in a world where, where reputation is, is so important, right? We seem to really value being respected and being known as, as the model citizen. I think even as I wrote this talk, this, this is what hit me. I was, I was convicted of the overemphasis that I place on my reputation. I want people to see me as the person who is, who is competent, as the person who is capable, as the, as the man who can get jobs done. You, you know, Connor, yeah, he, he, can, he could do that. He can get that done for you. I want to make sure that I'm respected and valued. I catch myself wanting to make a name for myself above God's. And I think if, if we're all honest, at least with yourself, you would say something similar. But church, we need to make much of God's name. It is God's name that must be glorified. God's name that must be praised. God's name that must be hallowed. Let us work together in unity in a God-honoring way that makes not our names great, but his name great. Let us be united to see Christ's name go out, to be made much of, as it rightly should be. Second point of application. As I read this passage, I thought to myself, how ridiculous are these people, right? How could, they, how could they even think they could build a tower to the heavens? How could they just so blatantly disobey God? They're just these, these silly, arrogant, frustrating, sinful people. But before... I, and, and maybe we, begin throwing stones and, and hurling abuse at these tower builders. What we need to understand is that sin is not just restricted to those builders. What we see is that sin is endemic to all of humanity. Historically, we've seen people like Alexander the Great or Caesar Augustus, even Hitler, Worldwide, right now, there are people who claim to follow the Christian God, but themselves claim to be mini-deities. What about this gender discussion? We as humans, we make decisions or we say, come, come, let us make decisions. Let us say or do things that should only be reserved for the Creator. But church, it's not just out there. Please, can we, can we not fall into that trap of comparison where we come out on top? We too have these little Babylonian hearts. Right here, in you and in me. We too have this insatiable desire to be God's. 
it might manifest itself differently in each of our lives. But I think what this passage is doing is helping us see our sin for what it really is. Seeing the, the absurdity of sin, the heinousness of it. And I think it, it actually paves the way forward in helping us to hate our sin. To hate our sin as he, the sovereign God, hates our sin. And I think it brings us then confession and, and repentance. Brothers and sisters, when was the last time that you confessed and repented of your sinfulness? Personally, behind a closed door. Not to do it as a, as a medieval tradition or, or, or to relive guilt or, or as some act of, of atonement or, or penance. But to recognize your sinfulness, to accept your weakness, and then to place your security and dependence firmly in God, in the sovereign God. The inclinations of our hearts are sinful and in rebellion to God. But the sovereign God will judge justly whilst offering salvation to every tribe, every language, and every nation through his son Jesus. Let's pray. Loving Father, I pray that you would help us here at your church in Menai to be people who make much of your name. I pray that Christ's name would be glorified, that he would be the centre of our lives, that we would be people who, who don't build towers or find our security in, in things apart from you. But I pray, God, that you would help us to place our security and our dependence on you that you would help us to recognize our sinfulness and our weakness and to see that you are the only one who can do anything about it. Father, forgive us for those times where we seek to make much of our own names and help us, God, in your, your strength and, and as you teach us with your wisdom to make much of your name. To Christ be all the glory. Amen.